The scripture reading this morning is taken from, no surprise, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 17. In your pew Bible, it's on page 1210. And these are John's concluding remarks. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. There are some uh, situations that you should not be praying about. If you're a, if you're a Bible-believing Jesus follower, then to be true to what we read in God's revealed word, there are some situations that are beyond the scope of your prayer life. Let me give you a specific example. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. So the situation you should not be praying about is a sin that does lead to death. There is a situation that if someone comes up to you and says, please pray about this, your correct response is to kindly and gently say no. Because this situation is beyond your, your purview. It's above your pay grade as a follower of Jesus. John is saying here in 1 John chapter 5, leave well enough alone. And I'm sure if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you might now at this moment have some questions. We will circle back to this in a little while. But first of all, I'd like to uh, open our Christmas pr present for today. And uh, I look inside. This is what we looked at last week. We had our, our buttons, our golden buzzer, and we learned that uh, Jesus gives us that golden buzzer that gets us through. But today, this is our present for today. And I'd like to have two volunteers. So uh, Noah and... Okay, come. And what I'd like is... I'd like you both up here on the stage, and I'd like one of you, so you, you know the telephone game, right? I'd like, hold it taut, okay? Has to be taut. Um, I think because you have the gift of the gab, you're going to listen, okay? So, and I would like you to say this phrase, not too loud so that he can hear you. Oh, can you plug your other ear? Okay, and what I'd like you to read is that. Into the cup, so it's kind of, yeah. Okay, so, so, so it's nice and tight over your mouth and say it. Hold it tight so that there's tension on the wire. Okay, go ahead. Christmas is cool. Christmas in Canada is cool. What did you hear? Christmas is cool. Oh, wait, Christmas in Canada is cool. And, 
And did you hear that? Did you hear Christmas is cool? Oh, wait, Christmas in Canada is cool. Did you hear that through here? Or? Yeah, oh, okay, great. It works. You can give that to your sister as a happy birthday present. Christmas in Canada is cool. I think we would all agree, but it's uh, not that snowy at the moment. So, uh, North Gore is getting fiber internet ready. The internet company has been bringing in and stringing up these massive coils of um, fiber optic cables. And my understanding is that the goal is to have fiber internet ready, prepared, and ready for you to use, if you so choose. Now, I know for some of you who live a little bit out of town that this is a pipe dream. And, uh, and I know that high-speed internet for you is still science fiction. Uh, and I do apologize for that. But for the rest of us, here we have it. Fiber internet in North Gore, waiting and ready to be used. And uh, as someone who has made his home far from home, high-speed internet for me is a gift. I love high-speed internet because it means I can video chat with my family back at home. In fact, it's easier for me to video chat with them than it is for me to call them on the telephone. But when I send through that video chat request through Facebook Messenger or Skype or you know, uh, FaceTime, whatever it is, I want to have the reassurance that when I send that request through, that the connection is solid, that my call won't be dropped. Because there's nothing more frustrating than being in a video chat and it is choppy like this and you catch one out of three. That's one word out of every three. You know, and it's super annoying. And then there's that moment where the screen freezes and you look like you're about to sneeze and it doesn't move. And then they take a screen grab on the other end and <laughs> post it on social media. It's always fun. So you want to be assured that you have a good connection because the assurance of a good connection leads you to the confidence of a good conversation. Now, I'm sure you've received loaded emails before. Hands up if you've ever received a loaded email that they don't come out and say it, but you know what they're saying. And it's painful, and you just wish that they would spit it out. It's all super passive-aggressive, and you wish that they'd be honest and just upfront rather than dance around the subject. Well, John is not one to dance around the subject. And in verse 13 of our passage today, if you don't have 1 John 5 open, please open it so that you can be reading along. But in verse 13, John clearly states the reason for writing his letter. There is no fudging here. And the reason is this, that he writes the whole of 1 John to give the believers confidence that they have eternal life. So he's writing to reassure those who are connected to God that they do have a solid connection with God and that this connection will not be severed. They have, in John's words, they, they have eternal life. And the need for us to have confidence in our salvation hasn't changed. We still need to know at the end of the day that everything's going to be okay. And you know, over this past little while, over this past week even, we've had some families in the church lose loved ones. And for each of those who died, we've had the joy of knowing that they placed their trust in, in Christ Jesus. And that gives their families the assurance that their loved ones are with 
Jesus now. First uh, Thessalonians 4.13 says this, We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And so 1 Thessalonians 4.13 um, agrees with 1 John 5.13 that having present assurance in our eternal destiny has real life, real world impact in this moment now. Knowing where we're going makes all the difference in how we live our lives now. Our joy is greater. Our peace is more profound. Our purpose is razor sharp when we know where we're going. And Notice in verse 13 that John says um, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is a present assurance. And friends, what that means is that eternal life starts now. It's not something that you wait to experience until after you are dead. It's something that we get to experience starting now. And for me, this is massive because this means that God's Christmas wish for all of you, if, if you want to put it like that, is that you have assurance. He wants there to be no question, no question at all, that you are his and he is yours. He wants you to know that in him you are safe, uh, that your connection to him is solid. Because if you're going through life with this vague hope that you may get to heaven when you die, then you're missing the point. Eternal life starts now, and God wants you to be rock solid in your assurance that in Christ you are good. And so for those precious saints who, who died recently, their eternal life didn't start yesterday morning for Mary or earlier in the week for Everett. Their eternal life started when they died to themselves and when they trusted Christ for salvation, when they connected themselves to him we can have present assurance in Jesus Christ that we have eternal life and that eternal life is now. And so God wants us to have this present assurance and it's this very present assurance of eternal life that leads to prayer-inspiring confidence, to a brand spanking new confidence as our um, theme is. And there is, there is a sort of a confidence that no one except a child of God knows. How it works is this, okay? If I know that my internet connection is solid and interrupted, then I can video chat without fear. I don't have to be checking the download and the upload speed every second to make sure everything's okay. It's a bit like being married, right? When I know that things are okay with me and Wendy, then I'm confident to talk with her. I can feel free to communicate. And it's the same with God. Reassurance in your connection with God leads to good communication with him, talking to him and listening to him. Verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. Now, outside of Jesus, verse 14 is an absurd statement. We wouldn't have any confidence. But in Jesus, we know that we will get a warm welcome every single time. And our welcome is based on Jesus and the work that he's accomplished for us on the cross. In Jesus, the welcome mat is rolled out for us as we come to him in prayer. Just have that as an image in your mind. When you come to pray, Jesus has rolled out the welcome mat and he's saying, great, I'm glad that you came. Without confidence, we don't pray. Relational confidence leads to communication, but relational angst leads to an awkward silence. So 
When I'm wishy-washy as to whether prayer does any good, I know I don't pray. When I'm not sure if my prayer gets beyond the ceiling, I don't pray. When I feel that God is angry with me or that something is between me and him, I don't pray. So prayer has to start with confidence, this internal confidence. And the Bible calls this confidence faith. Now, sometimes we think that faith is a bit of a competition, like, you know, he or she who has most faith wins. She has more faith than me. He has more faith than me. She has less faith than me. He has less faith than me. But the Bible tells us the complete opposite. It actually tells us that we don't need a lot of confidence in order to pray. We don't need to have a lot of faith. Matthew 17 20 tells us that the minimum faith that we need is the size of a mustard seed. So God is setting the bar incredibly low. And and what this means is that God is not interested with Christians with doctorates in prayer. He wants us to come to him with the faith of a child. Let me put it another way. If you're proud that you've graduated the kindergarten of faith, then something is wrong. There should always be something childlike about your faith, something simple, something trusting. You know, there's something very endearingly, almost naive about verse 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, when I read verse 14 with my cynical Northwest European mind, I immediately think, yeah, but God doesn't really mean that. He can't really mean that if I ask him anything, he hears me. But God wants us to put our short trousers back on. He wants us to re-enroll ourselves in kindergarten again. He wants us to have the confidence of a child approaching her daddy or his daddy. The word here is trust. Because relational confidence, like I said, relational confidence leads right into communication, but relational angst leads to an awkward silence. So if you're in Christ, know this. You are loved by God. You are accepted by God. This is the whole message of 1 John. This is why he's been at such pains through all these five chapters to show us just what love looks like. And knowing and receiving God's love in Jesus Christ leads to this confidence or this faith. A good connection leads to good conversation, to good communication. Now, I don't need 70 megabits per second download um, in order to video chat, even though that's available here at the church and over at the house. But I do need one megabit per second. You don't need a lot of faith, but you do need just a little bit of faith, of confidence, of trust in order to get that conversation started. And maybe this faith is mingled in with doubt and fear and questions, and that's okay, because that's what mustard seed-sized faith looks like talk to God anyways. And then in verse 14 and 15, John uh, John gives us two big promises to give us confidence to come to God boldly in relationship. And then also John gives us one small print footnote in verse 14. So he gives us two big size promises and one small print um, thing there as well. So let's start by looking at the two big promises. The first promise is verse 15. It says, he hears us. God hears you. God hears you. Knowing that God is listening out for your prayers should give you the confidence to come to him in prayer. 
You see, if I know that my sister is on the other side of the world waiting for my video chat, then I'm more likely to call her. I was just reading about the actor from Star Wars, Adam Driver, walking out of an interview because he hates to see or hear himself and they were playing a clip and he just couldn't stand it and he just walked out. He hates how he looks and he hates how he sounds. Well, and sometimes we feel that, right? I, I just can't stand, I can't stand listening to my sermons. I think I sound terrible. But God loves the sound of my voice. And God loves the sound of your voice. Your, your voice in faltering sentences and awkward prayers is like music to his ears. When I first heard my girl speak their first words, it was glorious. But for some of you, God has never heard you pray. He's never heard your first words in faith. When my girls started speaking, I didn't judge them because their first words didn't happen to be a recitation of, O Canada, or the Lord's Prayer. They started with, ma, 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 or da, 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 da. And it was awesome hearing this. Then eventually they built themselves up to sentences. And so God doesn't want flipping massive prayers. He's not interested in that. He just wants you to start saying to him, da, 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 da. Or in Jesus' language, abba, ba, 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 ba. <laughs> but the key is start communicating with God. Start talking out loud to him because God hears you, verse 14. Okay, now for big promise number two. For, uh, first big promise was he hears you. Second one is verse 15. We have what we ask of him. That's it. Simple. We have confidence because if we ask of God, then we know that we have it of him. Luke 11, 11, right? Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, um, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him or give good gifts to those who ask him? And so God loves giving good gifts. We ask in faith this kind of doughty, questioning, unsure, mustard seed-sized faith, and we receive. That's how it works. And so these are the two big print promises. God hears us, and if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, number two, we know that we have what we asked of him. So I wonder, what would your prayer life look like if you quit trying to explain away these verses and took them at face value? What would your prayer life look like if you quit trying to find reasons why these verses don't mean what they mean? If you quit trying to find reasons why you're the exception to these verses? What would your prayer life look like if you truly believed and trusted and felt that God loved the sound of your voice and the sound of you toddling to him in faith? What would your conversation with God look like if you knew that your connection with him was solid? So, so I've told you these two big print promises. God hears us and God gives us what we ask when he hears us. Now for the small print. Verse 15, four words. We have to pray according to his will. Now I've mentioned this one last because we often make this one the big ticket item. 
We say, well, you can never be sure that you're praying to God and praying according to his will, for after all, who can know the mind of God, right? So I shouldn't pray big, bold prayers because I don't want to presume. Um, Instead, I should pray humble prayers couched in all sorts of exit clauses um, in case God has something else in mind. Now, I, I wonder, is that humility talking or is it fear? I think it's probably fear. Fear of feeling like an idiot when the prayer isn't answered. Fear of being embarrassed. Fear of having your hopes smashed. Fear of painting God into a corner that he never wanted to be painted into in the first place. And that's why I believe John includes verse 16 in chapter 5 of 1 John. Because it's a case study. It's an example. John's saying, okay, I've taught you the theory. Now you can actually give it a go. If I know in my head that I have a great internet connection, but I never watch Netflix because I'm afraid I'm going to be let down, then I may as well cancel my Netflix subscription and my internet service because I'm not using it. Or, genius idea, I can start using it. And so, and so John says, you know that you have a good connection with God, verse 13, and this leads to a good conversation with God, 14. Now let's take out this theory for a spin. Let's see how fast this puppy can actually go. And this test case that John gives us is this. If you see a, fel- a fellow Jesus follower living a sinful life, start praying for them. Start interceding for them and see what happens. Start trusting that God will lead them to repentance. And I think why he writes this is that so many of us are so quick to open this and either start talking to the person in judgment or start talking to each other in gossip instead of talking to God in prayer. And what we can be praying for them this moment is that they can be reminded that through the grace of Jesus Christ, they have a connection with God that is good and solid, which will then lead them to opening up to God in conversation, also known as repentance. You see, when I'm sinning, I know that things aren't good. I have the conviction of the Spirit. In that moment, I need to be reminded of of the grace of my solid connection with God that is not based on how I act or what I do. I need to be reminded that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. I need to be reminded of the cross of the gospel, and it's from that place in front of the cross that communication starts again, that I repent of my sin and I feel that freedom of cleansing and reconciliation. And so, friends, if you have a brother or sister in the faith that you know is living in sin, pray to God and he will do the work, as verse 16 says, right? Now, like I said at the beginning, there are some situations that you should not be praying about. And verse 16 tells us when we shouldn't be praying. And that's when someone has committed a sin that leads to death. Now, to help us understand this, we need to understand the context of 1 John, or or we need to be reminded of the context of 1 John, that that, that in that church, there's a group of of these Gnostic heretics known as antichrists who have infiltrated the church, done all sorts of damage and harm, and then they've left. And John is clear about these people that they were not part of the church in the first place. In other words, they're not Jesus followers. So anyone who's not trusted Jesus for salvation has committed this sin that leads to death. 
And what this simply means is that God's got nothing yet for him to work with. That connection hasn't been established yet. Using our internet illustration, God cannot have a video chat with someone if they're not online yet. They need to get a connection with God so that God can start communicating with them because you can only restore a relationship that was there in the first place. And so John's, of course, John's not saying that we shouldn't be praying for the unsaved. But he is saying that we shouldn't be praying this prayer for them. In other words, we need another prayer for those who aren't yet Christ's. And John gives us this prayer actually in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 11, which says this, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And this is what we need to be praying for our unsaved friends. This is what we need to be telling our unsaved friends that if you, if you receive Jesus, if you believe in his name, then he will give you the family rights, the right to become a children of God. And it's at that moment, it's that John 1 verse 11 moment that that connection is established for the first time. And that's the moment that they can start communicating with God themselves. And that's the moment where you can start praying 1 John 5 16 for them. That when they start failing and sinning, which they will, that they have the assurance that they have eternal life in verse 13 and that they will have the confidence to come to God themselves in verse 14 and that through this God will grant them life, verse 16. You need to pray that they will be reminded of the vital connection that they already have with God through Jesus Christ and that they will start communicating with him once again. Now, as the worship team comes up, I want to tell you something. Just this morning, I was reading my devotions, and I turned to December the 22nd, today's date, and the verse was this, 1 John 5, 15, our verse for this morning. And we know that he hears us whatever we ask. We know, and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So do you think that that's a coincidence? This one little verse out the whole Bible, 365 days, I happened to pick the one book on the one day, uh, you know, I don't think it is. And uh, let me read to you what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes about 1 John 5 verse 15, and I quote, and this should encourage you, we can pray that all the precepts all the promises and all the prophecies in the Bible with respect to ourselves may be fulfilled in us. And then Lloyd-Jones gives, gives us an example. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Lloyd-Jones then says, and I quote, And if you pray for sanctification, you can be sure that God will sanctify you. It is God's will that you know his love. Ask him to reveal his love to you by the Holy Spirit, and you can be certain that he will do so. And it's the same with all of the other various promises that are in the scriptures. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. And then Lloyd-Jones carries on. Are you concerned that you do not love as much as you ought? Tell him about it. Ask him to shed love abroad in your heart, and he will do so. Are you concerned about some sin that casts you down? Well, pray a confident prayer. It is the will of God that you should be delivered, 
be delivered from sin, so pray for it. Are you concerned that your heart should be clean? Well, offer David's prayer. Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, Psalm 51, verse 10. And I assure you, Lloyd-Jones says, on the basis of the word of God and his character, that he will answer you, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin and all unrighteousness. Amen? End quote. And then Lloyd-Jones concludes this thought, and I want to leave you with his words. He says this, go through your Bible and make a list of the promises to you and then take them to God. Use them in his presence. Plead them and you can be quite sure, quite certain that you have your petitions. You, and then he says this, you already possess them and in his own time and way, God will give you a full realization of them and a full enjoyment of them. Amen? So let me wrap up by saying this. Have you got the assurance of a good connection with God? Do you know that you have eternal life in him? Do you enjoy the conviction that you can have good conversations with God every moment of every day. Friends, in Jesus, you can have the present assurance that the connection between you and God is good on the basis and merit of Jesus' righteousness. And this assurance of a good connection leads to the confidence of a good conversation. So start talking to God. Read through his words. Actually pick up a Bible, open it, Maybe even grab one of the Bible devotions. And on January the 6th, start reading it through and seeing what scripture God shows you, what observation, what application, and then pray that to him. Because this is the brand spanking new confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Amen.